In a world of downloadable and streaming singles, we at The Sound Effect ask musicians to tell us about an album that influenced them. Welcome to The Sound Effect. So Dave, we are talking today about an album that that was new to us, but is a pretty important kind of step in the progress of Canadian indie rock music. And it is the band Casey Accidental. Yes. Uh, um, never heard of them. No, never heard of them, right? Yeah. I'd heard of the song Casey Accidental by uh, Broken Social Scene. Right. Um, and then, but hadn't heard of the band. I think and there was a confusing where... text between you and I. I'm like, the band? The song? The what? So let's take a step back. Casey Accidentals formed 1998. Uh, started off as sort of a two-person recording project consisting of Kevin Drew and James Spirit. Now, wait a second. Broken Social Scene fans are going, wait a second. I recognize those, I those, names. those two names. Uh, those guys are in Broken Social Scene. Yes, well, hold on to your britches, people. They both worked at the Mockingbird, King Street in Toronto. Uh, the KC was their name. They're not big fans of KC and the Sunshine Band. Maybe they are. I Maybe. don't know. Um, and the pair began recording in a home studio in Kevin's basement. Uh, they released a debut album, Captured Anthems for an Empty Bathtub. Great name for an love album. Love it, love it. Um, and I love this. Sold exclusively through one store in 1998. This is why hipsters got bad names. Like, this is just <laughs> such a hipster thing to do, right? We're only going to sell it from one record store. Um, but the group released a second album in 2000 entitled Anthems for the Could Have Been Bin Pill, uh, Bin Pills uh, mm -hmm. on Noise Factory Records. Uh, and on that record... There's suddenly some contributors show up. Jason Collette, Evan Cranley, Emily Haynes, Jason McKenzie, Jessica Moss, Bill Priddle. All these other people start to kind of join in and start to make music. Um, this point, Charles Spearin, uh, who's playing, was playing with also like Do Make Say Think. We had a big show here in Toronto this past weekend. Uh, he goes away to Nepal. He returns from Nepal and finds out that Kevin's also been, uh, been seeing someone on the side. He's been making some music <laughs> with Brendan Canning uh, of, Dave, what band? Head. Head. Head <laughs> with a big H at the start, right? No, little H. Big, big, big little H. Big, big H. Big head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he also knowing he'd also been invited by and right by this point in time. A uh, bit of a known quantity around Toronto. Mm -hmm. And this is ostensibly the start of Broken Social Scene. Uh, I actually gave um, Charles a call just to chat with him and get a little bit more information because the internet is not filled with a pile of information about KC Accidental. And when I was chatting to him, he said that uh, it was essentially two groups of friends that came together to form what would become Broken Social Scene. How did you not uh, record that? Why did you not yeah, record that? I don't know. Well, I was on my phone. In the middle of my work day so i didn't really have the opportunity i should have done <laughs> that would have been um, just a little audio clip there of that's right that would have been good would have been really just good. pretend just pretend charles is there um <laughs> so around this time uh they would play in montreal as casey accidental um and then they would soon take on the moniker of broken social scene by the way great i've, I've heard about this i guess kevin drew played a show at wavelength and he called himself John Tesh Jr. and the Broken Social Scene. 
And then that's where the name came from. So there we go. That's, that's a fun, fun idea for the name. They would release their debut album, Feel Good Lost, uh, in also on Noise Factory in 2001. And then it's just a short time after that that they release You Forgot It and the People, which is their massive Juno Award-winning album that just celebrated its 25th anniversary uh, this past year. And um, it it sort of becomes their and the quintessential rest, album. And the rest, and the rest is, is Canadian, history. Canadian music Canadian history, yeah. world indie rock history, as they've, really is, they've, yeah. uh, they've, done, they've done us proud. As they Canadians have. around the, the world, and that just opened the floodgate. Like you could do a whole episodes on how this helped open the floodgates for stars, mm -hmm. uh, new pornographers, and of course, Arcade Fire. That yeah, just yeah. changed music, right? It really so, did. I mean, so, yeah, yeah, a quintessential album, really. If you're talking about like cornerstone albums in Canadian music, and if you're listening to the show and you're like, I, I don't really know that album. Um, even if you don't love it, it's it's just such an important record mm -hmm. in the span of Canadian music. Yeah. Uh, and Casey Accidental is kind of the the precursor to that, if you will. Yeah. Um, so it's let's, the let's... it's the new Yardbirds to this Led Zeppelin. How about <laughs> that? Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. That is, oh man, I'm that that is probably the best analogy. <laughs> There you go, Casey. Accidental. Put that on your uh, on your marketing for the next. That's uh, right. No. We are the, <laughs> the we are the New Year Birds to social scenes. Let's up. Oh, I love it. I love it. There we it, go. And it and that's makes sense. And at the at the beginning of it all, though, like it, it is just it sounds like friends trying things out. Uh, mm -hmm. It can stand on its own, and but I hear hints of Mogwai. In there, yeah. I hear uh, the spirit of it is just experimentation, mm -hmm. and to people that have done other things up to this point but are now trying something new, you know, uh, the Ghost Project by Nine Inch Nails comes to mind in the spirit of let's just put this out. And one of my favorite things about Casey Accidental, <laughs> it doesn't bother with those pesky, uh, uh, what do you call it, Tom? Oh, lyrics. <laughs> yeah, it is a pretty instrumental album. I think that's where the comparisons to something like Mogwai yeah, for uh, sure. would come in for sure, right? And yeah. even Siegel Ross, there's a lot of uh, a lot of that sense there as well of just orchestral long meanderings of music uh that you it's, know is it, yeah. again, I think to to your point, it is sounds like two guys kind of experimenting. Yeah. And and having fun and just just trying 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 things, uh, playing around, trying different atmospheres, different styles. There's some jazz in there. Uh, there I, I think one of the texts I sent you, like, hey, that song sounds like jazz if I tried to play it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, and it, yeah. not to say that's a bad thing to them, but it's no. just like, yeah, that's uh, there's something just about the drums there where I'm like, yeah, that's like, oh, this is jazz, right? Ghost notes, ghost notes, ghost notes. But so it's fun in that aspect. I, I really enjoyed that that part of it. It's like, yeah, let's try and make a jazz song. And here we are.
Sun Center is the solo moniker of Norfolk County's multi-instrumentalist composer and recording engineer Andrew McLeod. His music encompasses ambient shoegaze, post-rock guitar and rhythms. Uh, McLeod is also a member of former guest Zune and uh, Obigizi. I'm always saying, am I saying that wrong? It's uh, Obigizi. Obigizi. All right, there we go. I guess we could have asked him when he was on the show. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> McLeod is also a member of uh, former guests Zune and Obigazes. Uh, and in 2022, he released All Watched Over by the Machines of Loving Grace, a favorite here at The Sound Effect. The paper bag uh, record recording artist has been releasing various singles in the run-up to the release of his newest album, The Best That I Could Be, which is available March 31st. Thanks for joining us on the show, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh so this whole show is about influences and we're going to get to the record that you picked here in a few minutes, but I know like most of the people we have on the show, you had some problems picking coming in on one record, which is often a problem. What, what other influences uh, influences your sound? Well, it's, it's like, I was going to say like, it's like, especially with this record and a lot of the stuff I've put out in the past, it's like, there's, it's kind of like multi-genre stuff. Like I really like to like the idea of like exploring multiple genres rather than just like one thing. So like I, it's, it's hard to say. So that's why I was saying I had such a hard time picking because I'm like, for me, there's a lot of, there's a lot of influences. Like one of my favorite artists of all time is Godspeed You Black Emperor. I mean, that's like obviously like a, it's like a pretty obvious one, I guess, for a lot of people who are into like post-rock and stuff. And so like, you know, the album Lifter Skinny Fist has had like a huge impact on me, like in the way that I write music and the way that I approach it and stuff. And then there's also like My Bloody Valentine, like the like, especially the early EPs, like the Glider and Tremolo EP um, by My Bloody Valentine. It's just like the way that Kevin Shields like produces his music is like pretty much the exact approach that I've started taking in the last like few years, especially just like lots of the guitar and like the shoegazy stuff with the quieter vocals like on top and all that kind of stuff and then 
I don't know. There's a lot of different like like um, Bedhead. Do you know who Bedhead is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Bedhead's like a huge favorite of mine. In the new year, like that other project that they have, and then um, Granddaddy. Like I saw somebody talking about Granddaddy in your yeah. show recently. Yeah, yeah. Like the album, the Software Slump, is like one of my favorite albums ever made. <laughs> That's like another like influence. Uh, uh, there's so many like Sigur Ross, um, like. Um, um, Mount Erie, like Mount Erie is a huge one for me. Like I love Phil of Alrum and the microphones. So I don't know. I feel like I'm missing some because there's just like so many to like put in there. But it's like, I think that my point is, is that I take from a lot of those different types of styles and I like to put them into like one thing. And so on an is, album, it'll be like all that stuff kind of like, you know, on one album. I don't know. Is there like an overarching thing that you think unites something as uh, different as Sigur Ross to Granddaddy? I mean, I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, I think that, like, it's, like, I think aesthetically, like, I wouldn't say that for myself. Like, if I was to write, like, a song that sounded like a Sigur Ross song or something, I don't know if I would put it on the same album as, like, a song that sounds like a Granddaddy album, a song or whatever, but I'd still take influence, like, from the way that they create music, I guess. But I think that, like, a lot of times when it comes to like, um, like, I guess my music or whatever, like the thing that would unite a lot of it would be just like certain elements, like my voice or like the way that I like am writing the song, like the way the structures of the songs and stuff like that. It's more about like taking different textures or like different like techniques, I guess, from the way those people write their music. And I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain, but I think it's like, I think that ultimately it does sort of like work, but it's it's taken like a long time for me to take all those influences and like put them into like one thing, I guess. All those bands you mentioned, like all worthy of an episode on this show too, right? Yeah, like they're, yeah. They're all they're all like your average and when I say average, it's just for lack of a better term, music listener <laughs> isn't isn't gonna be into that music. They're you know right. I'm I'm never really dove into my bloody Valentine, but you're like the third or fourth person to say like oh huge influence. Yeah. Right? Well that's like part of the reason why I didn't even when you asked me like favorite album I didn't want to say it like my favorite because <laughs> I knew that like you had other people like say that in your show. I was like okay I need to think of something a little bit more like that's not just the same thing everybody else is saying. Well we appreciate but, like, that because like <laughs> five episodes on my bloody Valentine would be a little bit much. Yeah exactly. <laughs> but I definitely still want to mention them as like a huge like part of it.
Well, I, and I think the influence of, like you mentioned it there, it, the influence of, of Kevin Shields' guitar playing on on that shoegaze. Now, uh, we're older than you, so we grew up in the 90s when Kevin Shields was making shoegaze, and there was like a, a sense of like, okay, there's there's My Bloody Valentine, and then there was also like, you know, the Sundays sort of element of British shoegaze. And then there was sort of this sense of almost like a mockery of shoegaze music. Like, yeah, it's just a bunch of guys up there droning on their guitars and looking down at the ground. But it's been really cool in the last couple of years in Ontario. And we talked about this when uh, when your fellow bandmate uh, Zune was on the show. The amount of Canadian bands who are seemingly influenced by shoegaze has just been unbelievable. I mean, from people like uh, Basement Revolver uh, to to yourself, like, I mean, it's, it has become such a, a weird sign in Canadian music right now where I'm just like, man, another Canadian band who obviously is into shoegaze. Like, I don't, I'm so curious as to what it is that that, that style of 90s music, maybe above all others, has kind of emerged as the sound that people like. I think it's because of, um, I mean, like it's because it, it's hard to say. There's a lot of like because me and me and Daniel have this conversation all the time of the difference between like, like my bloody Valentine shoegaze and like the new version of like shoegaze where it's like dudes from like hardcore bands like playing shoegaze. Like it's kind of like a different thing. Like, I like I don't mean to sound like derogatory saying that, but it's like it's like a different different thing. And I think what a lot of it is is like um like MEV and slow dive and all those kinds of bands like they their songwriting is like really poppy right mm-hmm. so like mbv especially like his songwriting is, is just like like i've watched interviews with him talking about it and he's saying like i was influenced by like um you know duop music and stuff like that just like straight up just like pop music and, and but then he turns it into like this all, whole other thing with all this like spaciness and whatever going on so I think that that's like why people are drawn to it is because it's like ultimately like really poppy, but it's also like has that like sort of like darker spacey element to it that a lot of people are drawn to, obviously, too. You know what I mean? So, well, I and, I, and I think of someone like like Tally's who have that kind of sound yeah. of that droning guitar. And, and I also just can't help but wonder if it also has something to do with like the ability to kind of like it speaks to the person making music at home. Right, yeah, who totally. can just? I'm just in this hypnotic flow of just grinding away on this guitar, yeah, repeatedly by myself and kind of getting it through my system, right? Yeah, totally. I think that that's exactly like I think that there's certain types of music that people who are like home producers like make more than other types of music, if that makes sense. Like, it's like if me as like a person who records myself and mixes myself, like, I'm not gonna write like a jazz record probably <laughs> because i feel like i would need to like play like with jazz people and like you know have it be like a whole thing and like live off the floor or whatever well bring it know. bring up what you what you said about you know this is it, it, there are these there is this accessible pop element to it but mm-hmm. it's but it is also familiar that's what i'm getting from the album you brought to us today mm-hmm. uh same idea yeah. and especially listening to your music i can hear i'm like oh but he's taken this and and made yeah. something even like more not accessible again for lack of a better term it's just yeah. you're you can hear more of a structure in there 
uh while the album we're talking about so like today bit, like more loose and stuff it's yeah. weird because it's, it's like uh the kcx like this album kcx it's like i only came to it in the last like year and a half or two years and uh because like i mean i like 10 years ago like we're 2010 or whatever like when i was um 20 years old in 2010 and uh damn you're so young you're so young (laughs) but like i like um like broken social scene like for me like was like that was like a huge thing like it was like 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 um like the album you forgot it in people and then also like beehives that that like besides like ambient record that they put Mm -hmm. out it's like that was like i was so into that back then and I didn't actually like listen to KCXML like at all. Like, and I, I kind of had a phase where I was like super into broken social scene. And then I just like, you know, took a little break from it for a while. So I was like into other stuff and I wasn't really listening to it. But then I had heard, started listening to KCXML. And I was like, everything about like the early me being into broken social scene just like came right back to me because I realized like how, like I saw all those like really poppy elements of like, you forgot it in people and stuff like that and how they were like rough on KCX and all and how they like like Kevin and Charles and all and like Brendan how they figured out how to like turn it into like something that's a little bit more you know like something that people actually want to listen to I guess or whatever and so mm-hmm. yeah. so, so for me like listening to that album KCX and all I was like this is like I was like seeing it as like this is what I used to do or in the I'm trying to do what they did I guess with you forgotten people or something you know what I mean like I'm trying to like make the more accessible version of of the early thing and so it just had like a big influence on me for that reason specifically and then it doesn't help that i then like as i was listening to casey accidental like a lot like two summers ago is when i then met kevin and charles and started working with them or like started working with kevin like on the omega record and stuff so then it was like this huge sort of like coming together of epiphanies a little bit like it felt like very like this is supposed to happen or whatever you know what i mean did you go off did you go all fanny? Did you go all fanny when you met them? Like, oh my no, god! Like, I, I tried to. No, I was like trying to be chill. Be cool, man. Be cool. Yeah, yeah. like I'm still friends with Kevin. Like, it's like I talk to Kevin. You know, like still once in a while, like to say, and like it's Kevin's part of like Omega. He's like he produces mm. produces the records and stuff, and we see him and I talk to him and text him and stuff. But it's like, yeah, like when I met him, I was like, I was trying to be chill, and then like one day we were like chilling outside, and I was like, hey, dude. I just gotta like tell you just by the way like you know broken social scenes like a huge huge band or whatever for me and he's like what like i had no idea i thought you were into like godspeed and like stuff like that it's like well i am but like also like i don't know it's hard to explain you know? but it's it's funny like i can see like you bring up godspeed you black emperor we're listening to kc accidental we tom and i mm-hmm. talked about mogwai right yeah, like it's one, yeah. same thing like it, it's but i can see broken social scene in there and listening to kc listening to this album i'm like okay totally. i can i can hear where they went to why they went to broken yeah. social scene after this this was them yeah. just working stuff out and so, you know the vocals that are on the album i can hear those in the background of broken social scene right like yeah, it's just totally. it's almost like this was just a practice album to see if there was something there and can, yeah. how can we take this farther yeah so that album was mostly just kevin and charles from my understanding yeah mm-hmm. it, because that was before they met brendan and then once yeah. I met Brendan, because Brendan was sort of the one that like brought in this element of like, 
I don't know, he's a little bit older than them. And like, he brought in this a little bit more, like, I don't know what the word would be like, just more focused, I guess, with some of his songs and whatever. So I think that helped them all kind of come into like a thing and like make it a little bit more accessible. Yeah, and I think probably he has some pop sensibility from playing with like By Divine Right and Head. Like yeah. He had, he had some of that, right, that he was bringing forward to the totally. band, right? He's like a funny dude, too. I, like, <laughs> I don't even met Brendan, but he's like... He, yeah, I mean, I joke around that he uh, he has played with, like, it's got to be over like 25 bands. Like, yeah, I mean, it's probably. It's insane how many musicians that guy's played with. It's... um. Yeah, I, for, for lack of a better term, I'm just going to call these the K, Casey Accidental record because they're both. Uh, we're talking here about captured anthems for empty for an empty yeah. bathtub and anthems for could have been pills because they're kind of combined. I've heard really one. Together. Yeah, I see this one just because of how it was yeah. released. This one, yeah. Thing, but I, I like what Dave was saying there. The I really could hear the broken social scene coming out, particularly on like the last three tracks where. Yeah. I don't know if it's that low end, but there's a sound there at the end where I'm like, that's Broken Social yeah. right there, where it really comes through for me. Well, there's this one song on the album called, like, it's literally called, like, Pop Song Number 333 yeah. or whatever or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And it's yeah. like that. It's like that's just like a broken social scene song. Like, I yeah, was 100%. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, which it, like, it is, but it's like, yeah, it's just like fully. I don't know. Yeah. Like, my favorite track on that record is. There's a track called Tired Hands. Oh, mm, yeah. Killer. Yeah, um, I love that. And it, like, I think, I don't know, not to, it's like part of the reason why I'm so drawn to it is because it really reminds me of some of the stuff that I was making like a few years ago. But like, I don't know if that's like, I don't know, it sounds like conceited or whatever, but it just really <laughs> reminds me of like something I was doing like a few years ago and I hadn't like heard this yet. And I was like, so then when I hear it, I'm like, wow, like the influences of like what Kevin and Charles were making is like really similar to like the what i was making even though i wasn't like i don't know but i was also obviously influenced by them early so it's sort of like this weird sort of like taking from your influences making something and then realizing i don't know it's really it's weird but <laughs> the uh the thing i love about that song is that um i think it's it's, it's the horn line at the end where yeah. it, it it's just the uh this like downward note projection yeah. and it's just um, I love uh, Dave and I get into this. He's he's more of a complicated proggy guy. I'm right. more of a simple pop guy. And I one like of the both. things, yeah, and, and that's where an album, an album like this is where we both go. There it is. There's the sweet spot <laughs> for both of us. Yeah. But like when I'm listening to that, and it's like he gets into that nice little super kind of almost super easy melody, but he just keeps repeating it, and it's yeah. like. I was reminded when I heard that song, thinking about when we interviewed Zune and he talked about the hypnotic element to music, like when yeah. he made his record about how you kind of, he likes a music where you're almost in this state of being hypnotized by the music. And he liked yeah. that about like, uh, you know, First Nations drum set he gets on his records and stuff oh like that. God. And that ending to that song, it was like, I could just listen to this song for the next like 20 minutes and just that, just that note progression over yeah. and over again is just glorious. Well, I think that's like why, like I'm drawing like ambient music and stuff too. Like, what, like yeah. And post-rock and all that stuff. Cause I, I know exactly that exact feeling. Like I'll take like a chord progression and I'll just make like a loop on my loop pedal or I'll just like play it and I'll just like literally do it for like an hour and a half. Like, and then I'll just, you know what I mean? Like in my studio and I'll just like have it going like the exact same loop for like an hour and a half. 
or I'll like reverse it or something and I'll start trying to do like a line on top of it or do drums on top of it or whatever. It's like, it's because it's like that, it's like there's a mood that you tap into with like that, with those specific notes and that specific frequency. And then you just like stay there for however long you're capable of staying there. And then, and that's like when something like, I don't know, it's weird because I used to like make so much more of that kind of music where I would like really, really do that. And I would like actually release it that way. The songs would be like 10, like 15 minutes long or whatever. But it was like a few years ago where I started realizing like, I love doing that, but I also want to like take those ideas and then simplify them and make them like into a package where it's like, you can listen to it for like four or five minutes and it's like a song that like then another song happens instead, instead of just like a 20 minute song which i do love 20 minute long post-rock songs because i've made a lot of them and i listen to them all the time but i just like don't like think that um everybody else does well, and it might be, it might, go ahead dave go ahead i think i think that's like you keep bringing up the post-rock like this is just where it's like the only place to go almost right yeah. now Right, like it, mm. you've got bands like Broken Social when they came out, like for, or, or a new pornographer, same thing. Like you're like, you make the, same thing. Yeah, stars. Like you're like, yeah. where did all these bands come from? But they yeah. were they were just coming off, getting off that vibe of this, these bands that were making these twenty minutes long songs <laughs> yeah, because exactly. because why not? It's like we can't write music. No one's gonna play our music on the radio, so we might as yeah, well make yeah. music we love, right? Exactly. And then there's the trick is okay like you say i i can play this for 20 minutes but what if i just took that one minute yeah. <laughs> right yeah like and turn it into like a digestible song yeah the thing is, is i just like to do both like realistically like i it's like this this album that i made now it's like this was my attempt at making like a digestible album that i like have all these ideas and i wanted to make it like as good as it could be but also like a way that people actually want to listen to it but then you know my next album is probably going to be like a post-rock album where i just like do like seven minute eight minute songs or just because yeah. it's like that's just like what i have to do or whatever you know what i mean it's like part of it well that's um, a that's so freeing too right to feel yeah. that you can and go and go along with it and that the people that were listening to your last album are going to go along with that as well yeah and it's like if you stick to your thing and your aesthetic and you're and you do it genuinely people are probably going to like it. that's like, that's yeah. it. Like we we mentioned that on our last episode too that we just released. It was like you know if you just believe in it and yeah. that comes out, that seems to come out in the music and people just latch onto that. Like they feel that. Totally. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think that that was, for me, like, that was the next step in, like, my growth, I guess, like, as a as a producer, like, as like, a songwriter, whatever, was, it's like, I know that I'm capable of doing the, like, 10, 15-minute long post-rock thing, or, like, shoegazy thing, or whatever, ambient stuff. I was like, 
I wasn't sure that I was capable of doing like pop songs or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I was like, I need, I basically needed to prove to myself that like I could do that because I think that it's like, I think that that has its own virtue and it's like its own like thing, its own place or whatever. Like, I think that people who are really good at writing like pop songs are like almost more talented than people who are just like good at like doing like spacey like post rock stuff or whatever like not to say like it's they're both different things but it's like i just i I think that it's like that skill level like if you're it's like trying to learn and figure out how to like develop that that part of my brain or whatever i guess it's like it's just the it's the pop sensibility right and listening to casey accidental they manage yeah they they go off the songs are long and 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 a lot of it is just feel it uh, feels like they're it's this let's work out on this idea let's just play it and play it and play it and play it yeah but there's never that pretentious like okay now i'm gonna do like a 10 minute solo yeah, right? yeah exactly <laughs> like it's they, like tasteful yeah yeah it's it, yeah that's a that's a great word tasteful like it, it's you, you could go off the rails like they're no slouches as musicians yeah and uh i'm gonna say the drums on this album actually are really fantastic i love the drums on this record that's what part of the reason why i like it so much yeah like there's especially the very, the very first song it's like for actually yeah so the very first song it's like that really shoegazy song that's got like that like sped up like drum loop thing. yeah be, yeah um, yeah also like, the so, also the song the song you called out as your favorite the uh them pop song three 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 yeah yeah you know like it's it's the drums in that or what that's probably my favorite song too because of yeah. that drum pattern that he just keeps playing over and over again it's just fantastic yeah i love it i was talking uh, to kevin about it too i asked him about it and he was just like yeah we're, it's me playing drums and I just like sped it up, sped the tape up like on that, on that first track or whatever. He's like, he's like, I just played this simple beat and then I just sped the tape up a bunch. And that's why it sounds so like, you know, like oh, fast and room. As that's like, you're like, Oh, I'm going to learn that. It's like, no, no, we just, that's just studio trickery. Love <laughs> this Casey accidental album. I like your analysis there, your metaphor of it being kind of like an early record where you're kind of trying things out and seeing, Hey, wait a second on this 12 minute song. Let's just put it out there and see what works. Yeah. And it is interesting. Like I listened to this and then I went and I was always a fan of broken social scenes. So I, you know, and I've been listening to you forgot other people a lot this year because it's right. 25th anniversary. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And I should mention uh, you guys uh, in uh, our boat opening two nights for them. And yeah. uh, it's like all three nights because the one night is status on status is open right. as well. So, it's like Zoom one night on Bigaze and then status on status. Totally, yeah, and basically the development of like the explosion of indie rock, like, yeah, in, you know, like like in the two thousands or whatever. Yeah. So oh, it's totally. like, yeah, like it's pretty wild. Like when I when I see I see it that way too. Like when I listen to it, I'm like I get kind of taken back to this to this place or whatever. Like I'm like thinking of it like from their perspective or whatever. Like before broken social scene and how that impacted all of it, and 
you know, especially knowing Kevin and Charles too, like, it's just like, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it feels, it definitely feels very surreal sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, I bet. So yeah. listening to KC from, yeah, you got your songwriting on one side. What do you, how do you feel about the production on it? Does it feel kind of loose and do you pull that into any of your stuff as well? Yeah. I think that that's like part of the reason why I love that album is because of the loose production, honestly. Like, I think that's a, like I'm really into like a combination of like high quality production that is like has mistakes, <laughs> like you know, for lack of a better like explanation. Like I love to produce the hell out of songs, but then I like also just want them to be like the raw original takes or whatever, like the most genuine version of like that song. So it's like you know, sometimes I'll have songs that are like I don't know. It's like the original like i recorded it like three years ago but i ended up adding all these things to it like way later and producing it like so much more but it's still like the original like guitar or the original vocal take or whatever because it felt like it made sense to do it that way and i think that that with this case of the accidental album it's like that's what it feels like it feels like like i don't know if it was like i don't really know their experience like i don't know if it was like the absolute best they could do at the time or whatever but it feels like it is that but it's also like they just wanted to make something that felt like real to them and genuine yeah. and so there's so there's moments where it's like the production is like obviously not the most like ideal like hi-fi production in the world it's like pretty lo-fi at moments and like kind of like you know just like the shoegazy thing post-rock or whatever and like I'm, I'm personally like really drawn to that because i think it feels like more real like i don't know well people like, keep people are going back people have been going back to that style now for a long time you yeah know, like totally. the, the the analogs kind of sound they Digital is digital, yeah. But like it can, you can kill a sound. You can kill an album. There's got to be totally. like this, this warmness to it. Like we were talking vinyl earlier, yeah. Like that just lends itself to vinyl so much better, right? Yeah. And even even on the streaming services, you can just tell. Like, yeah, here's a band that just went all digital and like yeah. everything's the processed. Everything the guitars are like, same level. Even like the like the edits and stuff too. It's like because some people want their music to just be absolutely perfect. Like, yeah. Edit, like when you listen to like the high end pop music and stuff, it's like those vocal takes. Like there's like 90 layers of vocals and yeah. they're all just like just, you know the most like minute like auto tune. Like everything's just like so perfect and and it's like. I have an appreciation for that for sure because like I'm a yeah. producer and mixer and stuff but like for myself and like the music I make and the music I listen to it's not that like it's <laughs> so, like it's just going to be like the best like thing that somebody can do in that moment and like maybe they did a little bit of editing and they like, just made it sound good that's yeah. all that matters is that it sounds good I don't yeah. care about it be perfect you can just yeah. you can just beat the soul out of something right by, yeah. by doing that and where you have an album like casey accidental it's just like like i would be shocked if they told me like oh man it took us 10 takes to get that You'd be like what yeah <laughs> well know? i mean maybe it did but maybe, like, it did. You know, <laughs> maybe it did sometimes you just grow right a little bit I guess, yeah but it's yeah like, but like, that just has a it just has a feeling and a looseness to it that's like oh that's like two takes yeah you know tops absolutely Adjacent here too about the 
Yeah, we're, we're going to release this album that we've recorded in my parents' basement. Um, we're not really going to put it out. We're going to sell it privately at one record store in town. Yeah. So it becomes this kind of underground tape, which I think is so kind of cool. Like, I just yeah. think it's a cool premise. But add to that the influences here on this record. Like, we mentioned Mogwai. Um, I'm certainly hearing Sigur Ross. I'm certainly hearing Godspeed. And, mm-hmm. like, these are huge bands. Like, bands that I just, like, and I like their sound is huge. Yeah, like they're, totally. there's just a mammoth thing, and yet I love the idea that they're this mammoth sounding band in a basement <laughs> making this yeah. music. I think is a really kind of paradox to the sound, totally. right? Yeah, I mean, I feel that. Like, I mean, I make music in my shed, so like, yeah. I don't really know. Like, yeah, it's like I don't know. And your music is is massive too. Like when you're listening to a, your your record last year, I, I listened to it a lot with like my headphones on, walking, and you would just have this, like, and again, I think ambient music, and I think um, uh, is particularly good at this. It's got so much space, but it also seems to take up space. If that makes sense, right? Like when I'm listening to something like Brian Eno, it is. It, like it feels like I'm this tiny speck in the world of my headphones, but yet at the same time, there's points in the song where there's nothing and I can hardly hear anything. Right. And I feel it's the same when I listen to your record is that, and is that a conscious decision when you're, when you're making music? I mean, it sort of, I guess, I don't know. Like, I mean, especially with that record, I, I, I really was trying to like make it like the space and the texture of it all to be like, this very cohesive thing that was like all texturally like putting me into these like spaces like like I was thinking like each song was sort of like meant to be like a specific space and like a specific mood that would just go on for like five minutes or whatever and it was just like in that which I guess is a similar that that's what ambient music is like that's what Brian Eno is like about right like music for airports and stuff is like it's about being in a physical space and like listening to that music or that need for that space but um yeah and i think that like a lot it is definitely intentional it kind of depends on on though like especially with some of my like newer stuff like the poppier stuff and stuff that actually has like songwriting going on it's not just like ambient music it's it's intentional to create the space but it's really more like i'm trying to focus on the song as a whole so you can hear this actual song and then i add these other elements to it so that you're in the song but you're like being pulled into the song because there's all this like other stuff going on around it or whatever like well you're just talking the layers the different layers right yeah and and that's i always appreciate that like if there's if you can pick something up on the 10th listen that you missed the previous nine that's awesome to me that's like a a revelation and then just makes you want to dig in even deeper yeah like what else is what else is there yeah. Now we've talked about this influence on you on your record. I've talked about it on your your influence as a producer. How does that play with the fact that you're also kind of a, for lack of a better term, like I mean, you're a hired gun. You're a guitar, you're a guitar player with Zune and Ombigase. Uh, 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 how does the guitar playing or or that influence, or does this record influence your playing as well? Um. This record, I mean, like, well, sort of, I guess because Broken Social Scene influences my playing. So, mm, I mean, enough. so, like, uh, yeah, for, for, like, I guess so, yeah. I mean, specifically this record, I can't really think of, like, how, like, 
influences like that specifically but i i do know like it, like charles is like an influence for me in guitar for instance and like you know kevin and brandon and everything like their guitar playing is a huge influence on mine and yeah and like with Ombigaze especially like um i mean obviously kevin produced that album and like all these there's all these things that are happening in that album like any of the parts that i'm playing in guitar in that album you know it's like i don't know it's like it's like it's being it's like my thing it's it's weird because it's like my thing but then it's like he's producing it and i'm influenced by him mm. <laughs> like and it's like so i'll so i'll like play like guitar line. like there was many moments of making that record where i'll play a guitar line and like he'll be like yeah that's exactly what i would have like done or whatever and i'm like well yeah like of course it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i know man i know <laughs> it's so yeah. meta it's so meta <laughs> it's, it's really <laughs> weird like, like Wait a second! You're looking down at your guitar, saying, "This sounds like something that..." Br- oh, never mind. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, it's uh, that's really strange. Uh, is it? It's also an obscure album. Did you like? You're obviously you mentioned you're a broken social scene. You kind of worked your way back. Did you? How did you know about this record? Like, I think I had heard about it like years ago, but never really listened to it. Um, but I think that it was more just like a, I just like one day was like on Spotify or, or on Apple Music or something, and then I was like, like a couple of years ago, and I was like looking, and then I just remember seeing it like recommended, and then I remember thinking I had heard about it like years ago, and then started listening to it like, and then I was like, wait a second, okay, like, and then I started connecting all these dots, being like, wait, like this album, like I know what this album is, it's like prior to Broken Social. I don't know, it was like a I remember it being like a really big like epiphany when I first heard it the first time. I was like, you know. "Well, yeah." Well, when you picked it, I I had a moment where I was like, "Does he mean the song Casey Accidental by Broken?" <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. And then I was like, "I love that song," but and then I was thinking, "How do I break it to him?" That I mean, like an album, no, we need not an album, a song. Man. And then I was like, "Wait a second. Once I googled it, I was like." Oh yeah, like I kind of yeah. remembered there was another band, but I had no, I never yeah. really went back and it's definitely and, like pretty unknown. Like most yeah. people don't even, like, even people like in my circle or whatever I've mentioned it to, it's like they'll be like, "What is that?" or whatever, and I'll have to, like explain it to them and stuff. It's you know, it's 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 one of those things that it's like very under the radar, but it's like, but it, I don't know, it had a huge impact on me and like other people and like you know their development as a band and all this kind of stuff. So, well, it's funny you you probably picked the most obscure album since your bandmate Adam picked uh, Elevator when he oh, was shit. on like a year and, and a half he, ago. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah he he would have picked that though. That's like his favorite <laughs> favorite band. So, yeah, we had to find that online, and it wasn't even available on YouTube. We had to go to like Daily Motion to find the yeah. album. Like it was. Just like yeah. his band camp exclusive. Yeah, that's like. it. Yeah, yeah, that was a hard one to find. That was. Uh, but would you, would you say that like Casey Accidental is more of a musician's album though? Like someone who's in. I don't know. I feel like it's more of like a. I don't know if it's like a music. Well, I guess I guess so. Yeah. Like I mean, it's like it's definitely like a niche thing. It's like it's like you have to be into into production and into post rock and into like broken social scene and like whatever even really like get it like i think personally like i mean i think that it there's some songs on an album where like the average music listener could listen to it and be like wow this is really good like pop song 333 for instance and like a few of the other songs near the end like there's a song where i don't know who it is it's singing it might be 
either Amy or like even Les, like Feist or yeah. somebody yeah. is singing on the one song near the end of the album. And um, it's like that song, for instance, like I feel like, you know, the average person these days who's into music would be like, this is cool. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. It's weird. It's like, it, I would say that it's like a niche sort of underground musicians album, but it still has accessible moments. So, well, and it has accessible moments. And then I po- a point, uh moments that i've always kind of thought are like musicians kind of going nah screw you i don't really care about you as the audience like like yeah. anorex anorexic he-man like i'm right. like that just like i enjoyed it but there is no way that the band is thinking hey you know what the fans are gonna love this one like there is a like that is just a bombardment on the ears at points and i was yeah. just like I, this is cool, uh, but like, who's going? You know what? I just got to hear that song another five times today. I mean, I thought that yeah, was I know really, exactly what you, mean. you know. Um, and I and uh, and again, I thought there was. I love that whole mix on this record too. That I know. You've got, yeah. you've got that. Uh, I thought Nancy and the Girdle Boy. I wrote to Dave right away and said, uh, "This sounds like holy fuck." Like yeah, uh, yeah. there was like a real sense of like that. Um, like I said, Seeger Ross kind kind of came in and Mogwai. Like, there's just yeah. Yeah. what I love about early records, and I think this is, you know, I, I I resisted saying Andrew earlier that you have picked a really ultimate hipster album here, right? <laughs> like you've, uh, but like you know, there's a sense there. Like when I get into this argument with people, and I go like, oh, I really like that album, and they go, of course you do. It's the first album, you stupid hipster, and yeah. I'll be like. No, but there's something cool about an early album because I think as a band they're not they're not formed yet. So they're yeah. trying all these different kind of like influences whereas you just talked about how in your new record you've had to kind of go ah that doesn't work with this sound I'm going yeah. for in this record. Right. Um I can you talk us through your growth like as an artist you've got to get to that point right where you yeah. learn how to do that yeah i mean it's just i don't know it's taking a really long time i guess it's it's funny i just like to your point before though like it's because you were saying like it's weird like me personally with a lot of like artists i actually end up liking a lot of like later records oh okay and i know that's like it's like because a lot of people are always like oh i love like their first album or whatever and i do for some bands for sure yeah a lot of like the first album but there's a lot of bands where i'm just like i actually prefer like the album they put out in like 2000 or whatever like 10 years later like because I just, I like production too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like sometimes when the early stuff is like really like terribly recorded and stuff, and I'm right. just like, it's like, oh, this is good, but it's like, I like when you did that, but better <laughs> like later, like, you know what I mean? Like, so when it was listenable, you know, uh, yeah. that's well, a lot um, of, a lot of early, like when a band puts out a, their first or second album, they're still forming. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like they're still working on it. And like a lot of bands, you'll ask them, like, what do you think? is you at your finest and it'll be like their sixth album that no one listened yeah. to but yeah. man they put out they put it out and they are just so proud of it because totally. it, it, it was exactly the sound they wanted some bands get lucky and that's that happens on the first or second album right yeah totally yeah i think that um your other question um about like developing that skill um it just like takes a lot of time like i don't really know like i think it's just like sort of um one of those things where it's like I've been producing music for 15 years, like writing and producing music and releasing it for like a really long time, or at least from my own perspective or whatever. And it's just like, 
and I've always just been like pushing myself or whatever too. Like I just think that um, it's been important for me, like as a in my growth as like an artist or whatever, to like not to sit like I have like certain expectations for like what would what could do what and what could like succeed and what could do well or whatever. But I think that's um, it's just important for me to like keep going always or whatever. So like I just think that like part of it was like um, I think I like. I don't know. It's hard to explain this without without getting like weird about it. But it's just like I just feel like for like a long time I like existed in this like very obscure place or whatever. Where it's like I've put out like a lot of music. Like mm-hmm. like I've put out. You have your band your bandcamp page is huge. Yeah, yeah, it's like I've got just like extensively released a lot of music over the last like ten years, and like just and so, and a lot of it's very unrefined, and it's starting to like over time it's just like slowly gets more and more refined. And um, I'm at this point now where I'm like, I, I'm, I still am writing all the time and I have all this stuff that's just like on my computers and on my hard drives that isn't released or whatever because I started like a few years ago realizing like how I used to love just like putting out music when I was done with it. But now I'm like trying to actually take the approach of like artists who curate what they're doing <laughs> and like actually like put out things that feel more intentional and aren't just like, like a big dump of like stuff like (laughs) you know what I mean yeah no I know exactly what you mean yeah yeah Yeah. and so I think that's um yeah like now ultimately I've just gotten to that point like I'm just getting older and I'm getting more focused with what I'm doing I think that over time it's just I'm just going to keep trying to get pushing myself to get more focused I think that's really all it is that for my own uh for for me more than like for anybody else I just like want my music to be like as good as it can or whatever so I'm just like you know so i just try to do that like each each time i make new songs so i make a new album i want that album to be like what i want to listen to but also like what i think people would listen to <laughs> like you know both it's like a, it's they're both important and so i don't know it's just that it's just that fine balance you like you, yeah, don't, you exactly. don't want you don't want to start like only concentrating oh i think this, yeah. is the, this is the sound I'm hearing today. I think everyone will love it. No, exactly. People, people pick up on that. It's just like, dude, this is this guy's just chasing, right? No, exactly. And it's like that's yeah, that's exactly what I don't want to do. Yeah. Like it's it my, it's like I want to make music that when I listen to it and then when I make it, when I'm writing it and whatever, like I'm feeling what I'm feeling and like it feels really good to me and feels as genuine as it can. And then, but I also want to like take that and I want to like tear it down from the like 25 songs to like the 10 that make the most sense and are actually like the best ones you know what i mean because i think that that's like super important and i just i didn't used to do that and now i'm doing that and so i think that's like ultimately like how i've gotten to that point but i don't know i think a lot of artists already know that but i've just like taken a very different approach i guess than a lot of other artists have in that sense everyone's different though right and like some people just they just get it and they they click on it and but there's that longevity too some people haven't had the career you've had they'll have like one big moment and then that's that you never hear from them i also dare got a resume for god's sake yeah (laughs) i also dare say having a studio is probably part and parcel to that too right i mean you think about when prince died and he had how many hours 
of recorded stuff in the vaults, right? Like, right. so, well, yeah. I mean, Brian Eno has his own radio station, for God's sake, yeah. of, just, of just his hard drive. I mean, yeah, that's, exactly. that's insane, like, right? Like, for the, yeah, yeah, for the last, like, 10 years, I've just been, I've had a studio either in my bedroom or, like, in another room in the house, and I've just been, that's been, like, my main outlet, like, for yeah. even my whole life. So I'm just, like, I'm always just, like, doing stuff there. And, and so that just accumulates it just keeps on accumulating. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. it. Well, thanks for joining us, man. That was a great chat. And yeah. uh like really thanks for introducing this record. Yeah. We both were back and forth this week talking about what a fun listen it was. Yeah. So no. uh, it was a great that, record. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's always great when we hear when we get something that we're not familiar with. And you know, I'm almost embarrassed to say that because I was, I, I am a Broken Social Scene fan. I was like, ah, damn. How <laughs> yeah, did I yeah. not know this? But it's like, man, <laughs> listening to it, it's like, this is a great record. What a good, what a good find. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it is a great record. Yeah, I wish I was cool and say, oh, Casey Accidental, dude, I listened to that like 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, I thought you guys might be like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. Of course, we were actually at the record store. Yeah, when they gave it, yeah. yeah, when we were buying it, they got sure. Yeah, I could show you. I could show I you my copy. Here yeah, somewhere. somewhere. Where is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If only, if only. Um. Uh, so yeah, thanks again for joining us, man. We really appreciate it, and I yeah. uh, can't wait to hear uh, to hear your new record, "The Best That I Can Be," uh, yeah. out right now, March as of March thirty first. So anyone listening, get out and grab that record. Uh, get it on Sunsetter at uh, Bandcamp or uh, go see him live and buy it there, yeah. right? So yeah. awesome. awesome. Uh, yeah, so thanks for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. We'll push it out as much as we can and good luck with the big release. Yeah, thank you.
like, were you a fan of Broken Social Scene? Oh, yeah. I can't remember if I saw them with you. I'm like, I, think I know so. I've seen them a number of times in Ottawa. I think it was... I, I remember that Juno, the time the Juno Awards were in Ottawa, and all these bands just came out of the woodwork. Yeah, they were and, at Zayflots. Yes. And yeah. then within a week, these bands were changing. I felt like these bands were changing the world. Yeah, that's right. right? Yeah. So we had, I remember being at the Zayflot show, and it was Stars Opened. Yes. I think Leslie Feist was there because everyone had been up for awards the night before. Yes. And, uh, and I'll be honest, Broken Social Scene were well lubricated let's just say oh, yes. and and I still remember that whole night they kept saying things like Kevin Drew kept going up to the mic and going this song is written by Juno winners the broken social scene because they had been the, they had just come from like across the river where they had yeah, won the pre-party the, the, the pre-award the pre show right? yeah the pre-award show which is where all the awards are given out right all the so, good ones yeah, yeah. That, that was a <laughs> that was a fun day I thought you were there and I thought yep. we might have seen that Blues Fest together as well so probably uh, yeah so I know I've seen them and I'll always check check a new album out when it comes out. Mm -hmm. uh, not super hardcore fan, but I have nothing but utmost respect for them and what they did for music. Like, I'm not going to say they saved music in the early aughts, but sure helped it along. Sure helped well, you, bring I in mean, that new era, right? And the indie rock and the indie rock revolution. Yeah, because we talked before about how that late '90s we're getting into some really like just terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible radio music. friendly alternative rock and then by the time you get into the 2000s we're starting again to okay what's what's working here right and that's when you start to have this kind of you know rise of bands again like i think hot hot heats around this time in canada you've got um you you've got uh, broken social scene of course stars you have these bands starting to suddenly make music constantines uh mm. who are uh, the hidden cameras would be another great one i mean just all these great canadian bands who are starting to show up at the time and what i liked about broken social scene was um they weren't they weren't breaking the rules of music no but they were bending the rules they were bending what a pop song and a pop rock song sounded like right I, they yeah. were i really you know yeah i really feel that they were just of the mind like this is not going to get on the radio in this yeah. in this climate yeah. of music right now. What we do is not going to. So let's just make the best music we can. That's right. Have yeah, our friend right. Leslie Feist come in and sing some and do some stuff. And yeah, Emily, like come our, on over. All yeah. our all our friends who are who have all been in bands and know what they're doing and know how to write a pop song. Or a good rock song, and put an amazing album cover on their yeah, album. and let's album just oh, let's just put people's great. Let's print let's print off a thousand copies and <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. Now this is this is all like pre-streaming. Uh, mm -hmm. The music business was in shat like shattered because of right. online downloading, and no one was making money. So that was, I just feel listening to Casey Accidental and then bleeding into broken social scene i just feel like it's a oh who gives a crap let's just write for the joy of writing mm -hmm. and let's yeah. like let's not make it garbage and screaming let's just write good music what we yeah. what we yeah. enjoy and i've always said if you if you're if the authenticity authenticity is there the heart is there that comes through and people will follow
And there's some playing off. And I think that's the beauty of having like people. I mean, that was also one of the first bands that had like a huge lineup. Yes. Right. Where you were like, oh, my gosh, how many people are in the Broken Social? It's like 72 people in this band. What's like going P-funk. on? <laughs> yeah. But the cool thing about it is, is it. And I think what they did well is they allowed musicians to play off of each other. Right. So, you know, if, you know, Andrew Whiteman wanted to kind of do something kind of eclectic on on the guitar, then then go for it right it was it was a a lot of being able to kind of have some fun with that and i think and we talk about this with andrew in the interview but the idea that for casey accidental this is a preview i find in many ways of what's to become broken social scene like i mean in many ways they are quite different i mean there's definitely a difference like you said there's lyrics versus no lyrics there's or very few lyrics anyways um sonically i think there's definitely a, a bigger variance in uh in broken social scene with but at, at its you can definitely hear the notes of its birth in casey accidental yeah and i think that's what's so intriguing about it it's like mm-hmm. wow this and they were they made this they put it out there and they just kept going. And here is the, it's like, fine. it would be like, we joked about the Yardbirds and stuff like that. It would be like finding the first jam recording of Bonham, Plant, and Page, and and John Paul Jones as the new Yardbirds. You know, get getting ready for that, getting ready for that first show, right? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be like finding that tape. Uh, it, it is a bit like that, right? It's like the, the garage band basement tapes of, of a band that's about yeah. to... The break in a few yeah. years, right? And it, it's the cool thing about this, like, there's a few cool things I talked about earlier. How it's just ex- it's very experimental. Mm-hmm. The songs are long. The songs are short. It just goes on and on. It's a very long album too, but it's actually it's actually like I listen to it, of it's course, on, on streaming. So it's it's yeah. two albums, uh, which is cool. And yep. the, but yeah, it's it's just this free form kind of just bleh here we go this is this is us here's a beginning middle and end of a song and we don't know it's almost like you don't know where it's going to end but we're going to tell you how we're getting there and then when it does come to this the songs do like end it's like wow what a ride that was what's Mm -hmm. what's up next right and it's um so yeah lots of cool things there but i'm going to say the fact it sounds so good for yeah consider it's recorded in a basement two dudes in their basement recording and you know as you were going through the timelines of stuff there and i'm like one other thing that's very important home recording became very affordable and very Mm -hmm. good that's a really good point it wasn't just like how many times in your early bands did like oh who's got who's got a tape recorder we can like yeah just record and it just sounds like like the early beastie boys uh recordings and stuff is just or Eric's trip, right? You were yeah. like, oh, this although you were listening going, This doesn't sound anything like Eric's trip. How did they get it? This sounds so much better than us. That's right. right? That's right. And yeah, you're but you it sounds point, yeah, yeah, like it, it's people can afford good computers and good recording gear and the interfaces were getting easier to use and microphones were getting like it wasn't it it was affordable to buy good microphones and you could buy a few of them not just one and put it in the middle and hope it picks up the drums bass guitar vocals right it's just it was such an exciting time and that just again kind of like the punk rock scene in the late 70s this just showed people like holy crap 
we can do this. I'm, I'm not going to say Casey Accidental was the one. Like, it was probably more broken social. Of course, yeah. Stuff like there's that. probably bands in every single city in, uh, in the world doing similar stuff. Yeah, exactly. And now, like, studio, like, it's just studios and you can do it. You really can DIY it yourself. Yeah, I'd be interested in knowing, like, was this because, I mean, you think about, like, Apple GarageBand doesn't come out until 2004. Right. So this is six years before electronic things like that. So I don't know if they were using. Well, that was that was GarageBand. Of, I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm going to say there was several, several. Yeah, there was definitely. Yeah. Uh, so were they using that or were they using more sort of analog? Uh, good question. But, but, like, but yeah. like. Whatever it was, it sounds fantastic. And, it does. I agree. And with you. It, it doesn't sound like two guys. Like it's it, it could. If you told me, say, hey, here's the latest Mogwai album, like the mm-hmm. like today, handed yep. me that album and said it's the latest Mogwai album, check it out, I'd believe you. I'd be like, yeah, like it sounds exactly like something they do. There's a little that it's very airy, very uh, you know, just very experimental. And they play with the room. They play with the atmospheres. And I mean, referencing, like, we've talked about Mogwai and Sigur Ross in this. And this idea that, like, it, it's such a cool era in any point of music before the, the big break, right? Before the broken social scenes, the, the Led Zeppelins, the David Bowies, before those people break, those couple of years before they break, mm-hmm. where the stuff is boiling just under just before that boiling point is just such a cool era in every form of music right so here you have a reaction probably to that late 90s crap on alternative radio i mean these guys are all around toronto they're listening guaranteed to cfny uh who at the time was just playing a pile of guard they weren't playing like still pulling off stuff from the grunge catalog they were they were no doubt playing you know the collective souls and garbage like that right, right. so so i'm willing to bet like the band is probably just like yeah, I'm, I'm not listening to that at all and probably listening to maybe some college radio or like you've mentioned before uh internet radio because this was right. like early early internet radio yep. and 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 also catching their peers making live music and also this idea that when people aren't playing the music you want to hear then you're going to go and hang out with people and make the music you want to hear, yep. right? So I think at this point you probably have them listening to a pile of really kind of cool experimental stuff, and you get, like you said, Mogwai, um, Seeger Ross, um, oh my gosh, Godspeed, right? Things like that that are really uh, different and pu- and pushing the boundaries of this music. And again, they're they're just enjoying themselves, like you said, and making the music that they kind of want to hear right and there is something as well about i think playing in a basement with just one guy where you can go we don't have to worry about a three-minute song we don't have to worry about chord structures and changes um let's just play for 15 minutes and yeah. see what comes of it right <clears throat> and some yep. center kind of talks about that in the interview about droning away in a guitar part for an hour and sort of seeing what what comes of that and i know stars have talked before about how when they used at least with some of their early albums, they would record with that rhythm section, just playing and playing and playing. And then the guitars and everything just kind of, let's just keep going and seeing what we come up with. And I think when you're put in a situation of just, let's just play in the basement together, you, mm-hmm. you get magic like that. That just kind of happens. Right. Cause there's no one telling you, no, you have to do this, that, and the next thing. Yeah. And that's, that's just breaking 
I would say that's it maybe in your mind or maybe in not. It's just there's no rules being observed. How about that? Mm-hmm. We're not yeah. breaking the rules, yeah. we're not bending it. It's just there are none. Right, so right. We can do it. what we want to do, right? And again, I think if you go back to any era of music before it breaks, there's that moment where you know, hey, you know, whether it's the early '60s and it's a bunch of white kids in London going, "I'm really into this R&B stuff. Let's let's get off a of skiffle and start playing it," uh, you know, or let's you know, let's pretend we're we're this black performer from, you know, from the south, <laughs> play their songs, even though we're in East London. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there's again that that sense of carefreeness that music should have, right? Um, and we've said before, when the industry gets too involved. Ugh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case, there's no industry at all. They're literally in Kevin's parents' basement. So hey, there's a complete freedom to do whatever the heck you want there. So it's almost weird, right? The smaller the space you're in, the more there's a there's a, a paradox there, right? The smaller space you're in musically, the freer you can become. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect analogy again. Well, did you have a favorite? Oh yeah. The uh uh them pop song number three 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 no that's a great that's a great we, track we talked yeah. about that with andrew yeah. too and uh i just i just uh, it was the most catchiest so yeah pop song i get it ha 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 yeah. um but everything you know the like i say the the tired hands was good oh, it goes on, it goes on a little hands. long i think but well why not who cares like yeah this, the prog guy in me was like Psh, 12 minutes that's cute yeah <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, that's uh, Tired Hands for me was my favorite. Um, you know, I went through a few others where I really liked, like I liked Save the Save the Last Breath. Um, uh, Nancy and the Girdle Girl, Girdle Boy is really good, and is in the of and is and of the yes, the closing track. Um, yeah, that one really kicks too. But yeah, Tired Hands for me just is fantastic. And and again, I think you're right. I think there's an airiness and a breath to it uh, that I like. Um, I also love that whole. There's a there's a it builds up and it has that ambience to it that's just that's just awesome and again as much as we're talking about how you hear this sound in the next you know two three years of broken social th- scene i also again think this is this becomes sort of the signature sound of canadian music in yeah. many ways over the next few years right i mean the deers the constantines um the hidden cameras these bands are all going to be I'm going to say playing uh, around with that, right? Yeah, I'm going to say holy fuck too, uh, in that spirit of experimentation. But that sound, that raw, the atmospheric, the the layers is all there. Again, it would blow my mind if they said, oh, that Casey Accidental album. Yeah, we love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's did anyone actually did anyone actually know, right? Well, well, I'm sure it's. I'm sure that album is like one of those, like the people who said they went to Woodstock, right? Right. I'm sure there's people around Toronto. Go, oh no, I have the case here. Oh yeah, I'll, yeah. I got yeah. It. Well, I'll pull it out one time for you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Wani for letting us use his song In My Heart as our theme song. And thanks to Sunsetter for joining us this week. Go out and grab his newest album, um, which is available as of now. And also make sure you check him out live. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening to The Sound Effect. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it on social media and let us know what you think of our show. And remember, there is always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered. So keep listening.